Mister, I'd like to be a brother like that. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, you are listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day. Excited to be able to do something that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Welcome to the 48 Days Show. Got some exciting questions today. Got some good news, as always. Here's some of the questions that we're going to be looking at. Dan, I have an opportunity to do a 60-second elevator pitch for my dream job. How cool is that? Dan, I'm wanting to inspire a very poor teenager. What book should I have him read first? I really love my nonprofit. The problem is it's running on fumes and we're unable to pay employees and keep volunteers. Dan, I will soon have to leave my 15-year psychotherapy practice to care for an ill cousin. How can I continue to make an income? Very, very poignant questions. There's kind of real-life questions. And certainly things that we probably all deal with, all of those. We're going to unpack those here in a little bit. Got some good news and more questions if we have time. Our poem from Cliff Feitner today says this, Is your job defining your life? Is it maybe a cause for much strife? Is it a way to employ your life to enjoy? Or does it cut through your soul like a knife? Wow. Always appreciate those ongoing poems from Cliff. Add more every week, sometimes three or four a week. Well, here's a quotation. Now, the quotation today comes from our good friend, Jim Cockrum. Jim is our Amazon expert. Got a big conference coming up in Orlando where I'm going to get to speak with him and a whole bunch of other cool people. Jim says this, being profitable means I get to continue serving people without having to ask for donations. Now, that seems pretty Simple, straightforward. We're going to come back to that in the context of some of the questions today as well. All right. Now, success stories. This one comes from Ron, who says, Dan, I listened to your audio book, Dream Job, back in January of 2017. I picked up a little piece of information from your book about business opportunities. So I went to my Kindle store, subscribed to Home Business Magazine. In the back of the magazine, they had a link to Home Business Expo. I went to the link, reviewed opportunities for under $500. I selected a note broker program that I purchased for $295. I followed the program, set up a website, created some Google ads with a budget of $50 per month for the ads. I just closed my first deal and wired $5,100 here in July of 2017. My total investment up until now is $600. I want to thank you for helping me see other opportunities. I just added another stream of income to my funnel and created new professional relationships in the process. Well, I love it when people just see simple ideas like that and just jump in the game. Hey, we got some new good news here. Utah just legalized lemonade stands and other businesses run by kids. 
Now, this is one of those things. I mean, you know, when you think about it, I mean, do we really have to run around and shut down kids who set up a lemonade stand at the end of their driveway to sell to people coming through their neighborhood to garage sales that morning? Well, it happens a lot. Now, you've been listening to know that I'm dealing with something that seems to be kind of preposterous as well, or I'm not allowed to have my office in the barn that we have on our property. Well, I'll, I'll keep giving you the updates. We're still working on that. Things are moving very slowly, but seem to be moving at least on that. But Utah legalized lemonade stands. What a big deal. So now the kids don't have to worry about being shut down by the cops. Well, what they did is they say that now they no longer require a license or permit for a business that is operated only occasionally by an individual who is under 18 years of age or charge a license fee for a home-based business. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, they were going around, and I mean, that happens here where I live and probably where you live as well, where they go around and tell kids that they have to have a business license You know, so they pay $30 for a business license for a business that they're going to make $20 on. Well, why don't we just uh, discourage kids from being in business? Incidentally, I'm one of those guys that I like to support entrepreneurs no matter what. So young entrepreneurs, if they're selling cookies, I'll buy cookies. If I throw them in the trash can around the corner, it doesn't matter. Uh, Recently, I was at one of my favorite restaurants sitting outside Mexican restaurant and a guy came and started opened his guitar case and started playing. Now it wasn't a good spot. I really don't understand. It wasn't a high traffic spot and uh, he was not very good at all, but that's okay. I still walked over, gave him a generous tip just for having the audacity, the confidence, the bravado, whatever to do something rather than sitting at home twiddling his thumbs because the economy is bad. Nobody will hire him. Yeah, support him. Well, here's here's one. This comes from Texas. Texas legislators just voted in favor of allowing poorer residents to pay off traffic tickets in methods other than money. Now, here's the deal. There were a lot of low-income Texans, and this is true in every state, often punished for not paying their traffic tickets on time, resulting in more fines and punishment that pushed them into further debt, and sometimes those mounting fines and punishment result in jail time. God, it reminds me of stories in the Bible about how ridiculous it is to throw people in jail who owe money. How are they going to earn the money to pay if you throw them in jail? I mean, it's a self-perpetuating black hole. So what they're doing in Texas is now they can ask defendants if they have the funds to pay for the fees. And if they don't, then they may offer some kind of an alternative exchange like community service. Seems to make a lot of sense to me. I hope it does to you as well. Hey, got another one here. Got a note this week from Gregory Colstow. Now, Gregory lives in um, Kansas City, <clears throat> has a coffee shop named Oddly Correct, which I love the name, and Greg talks about it. Now, Greg sent me a beautiful print I'm going to tell you about here, but he has a coffee shop called Oddly Correct, and it comes from the idea that other people say, no, you can't do that. No, you shouldn't be that way. You should be something else, and he just kind of realizes it may not be right for you, but it's right for me. It may not be Every for everyone, but it's oddly correct for me. So the name of the coffee shop is oddly correct. You can go there, check it out, oddlycorrect.com. You see the really cool coffee shop 
that Gregory has, but he also did a print. Now, this is a print where he had to do a carving and then do an ink print. And it's of a massive, massive tree. And there's a guy standing beside the tree with a big wooden spoon in his hand. Now, here's the message from this. And I absolutely love this. Gregory says, I was going to chop this tree down. Now, I don't know if he meant literally or just figuratively, but he says, I was going to chop this tree down and make a home for my family. However, all I had was a spoon. The world told me to go get an ax, a chainsaw. They weren't wrong, but I thought I would just start with what I had and I succeeded. He says, I was inspired by your work, dedicated to you. So he has this piece that's dedicated it's called no more mondays down in the corner and signed by him i'm going to have it framed and hang here as a reminder don't be concerned about what other people are saying if you're going to chop down a tree and all you've got is a spoon go ahead who knows it may turn into something that is fun and profitable so now gregory has in spite of people telling you know you can't do that that'll never work you shouldn't do that now he's an owner of a coffee roaster a coffee bar and an art practice I mean, how cool is that? I love that. Check it out. Oddly correct. Well, thanks for the notes coming in. I always enjoy those notes. If you got stories that you want to share, I love to hear them. Um, God, I got a bunch of them this week. But anyway, I'm going to go on to some listener questions here. But if you got those stories, send, just send them to askdan at 48days.com. Love to hear those. Caitlin says, this is a question. She says, I have an opportunity to do a 60-second elevator pitch for my dream job. The company will give me one minute. Uh, they'll give me a one minute pitch on what they're looking for. And then I will give them a one minute pitch for the job. Do you have any suggestions on how to stand out from all the other applicants? Thanks for all you do. How cool is that? I love that. I, I would just love it because it's different. One minute. I mean, if you watch Shark Tank, you know, they, they have a very short period of time to pitch their idea. You better be really clear on what it is that you do well. Well, Caitlin has one minute and she's going to hear what they want. So here, y'all, I've got some points for you, Caitlin. You can do this. You can rock this. You can make everybody else look like they're standing still. Now, what you want to do is make it about them, not you. Too many people in a situation will say, well, I went to school, you know, at Harvard and I got a degree and I've got my MBA. My no, don't do that. Make it about them. Clarify the challenge they have, the need they have, and make the customer the hero of the story and show how you will be the guide to help them solve a problem. Give them two options. What will happen if they don't use you and what will happen if they do? Now, let me just, you know, and above all, have fun with this. Be energetic. If there's one thing that's attractive to potential employers, it's high energy. So be energetic with this to see it as a, a little one minute skit you're going to do, but have fun. But let me give you five steps to this. You can do this. Number one, what do they want? Number two, show empathy. You know, I know how frustrating it is to, you know, have things disorganized or have unhappy customers, whatever. Just show empathy. Number three, summarize your plan. I will do these three things. Summarize what you will do. And then number four is a call to action. I can start on Monday to put this plan in action. Number five, describe successful results. This is what it's going to feel like to have more freedom, better organization, happier customers or whatever. But put it in the present term. Don't even say, you know, I could say, I will. I will do these things. 
So again, I'll put those in the show notes. I'll put that little five. I just put that together for you. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, those five steps to do your one minute elevator speech to rock it, get the job you want. You know, that's a, that's a, a process that any of you can do. You can make yourself a top candidate with a one minute presentation, just like Caitlin's asking for here. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hear some of those success stories. All right, John says, I love your podcast and books. I have a cousin who works at a summer camp. There's a teen that she's seeking shoes for. His are being held together with duct tape. His family is facing foreclosure and his earnings are being used to support his family. All right, now John came back before I had a chance to respond. Says the shoes are handled. You know, somebody took care of that. But I'm wanting to inspire this young man, he says, to reach up and beyond. I'm thinking think and grow rich and rich dad, poor dad. I wonder if the titles may be offensive to him. Any guidance you can give is welcome. Well, John, here's what I would suggest. I, I really do think, and as much as I love think and grow rich, I think it's probably too philosophical for a teenager, especially if he's not used to reading that kind of material. There's a, uh, well, there's updated versions of it. The original has English terms that are not very common today, but probably a little philosophical for someone so young and just starting to think differently. The other one you suggest, I think the same thing. Rich dad, poor dad. I mean, really what he talks about a lot in there is making investments and buying real estate. Well, that's going to be kind of over the top again for a kid like this. What I would suggest you start with is The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. Now, there are five books that I think really are timeless classics that I recommend to anybody to read before they are 30 years old. And those are How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, Acres of Diamonds, Russell Conwell, and The Magic of Thinking Big. But for this guy, for a young teenager who's really poor, I would suggest The Magic of Thinking Big. The stories are so engaging. And that's one of the, th- one of the three books that uh, three of my grandsons have been incentivized to read this summer. And I just got a lengthy book report on The Magic of Thinking Big from my oldest grandson who's reading it this summer. You know, I may just take that book. I may do an entire podcast on that sometime this summer yet where I just take that book and we just kind of unpack it. It's got that many fun stories in it and just been written years and years ago, but that's the way it is with success principles. They're timeless. It's not something that was written in 2017 and nobody ever heard of it before. Nah, any success principles have been around for a long time, but yeah, I may do that. May go through the magic of thinking big, you know, and that has things in there. Golly, I've read it so many times, but things like walk 25% faster. I mean, go to, go to the mall and just watch people. You can learn a lot about people by just watching them, how they walk, how they carry themselves. Walk 25% fat. Walk like you have some place you need to get to. Walk like you're late. Be a front seater, you know, sit in front, you know, ask questions. Those are the kind of things we'll maybe unpack that. Well, hey, just uh, let me take a breather. You know what? Let me, let me bring this in as a excerpt here. Monday, Monday Can't trust that day Monday, Monday It just turns out that way Got all these cool songs loaded up here. 
in the program that I use for the podcast. Love to bring those in. Don't do that often enough. But that's an old classic from the Mambas and the Papas. Yeah, I hope you don't feel that way about Mondays. I hope you like uh, Gregory with his coffee shop. Read no more dreaded Mondays, perhaps, and got some ideas and went out there and did things that other people are whining about on Monday morning. You're taking advantage of the opportunities. You know how to make this work. All right, John says, now this has a lot of pieces in it here. John says, I've been struggling now for a few years trying to become content with the work I do. I currently own a real estate rental and construction business. I help my wife with our profitable online business, and I'm the president of an international religious organization. The problem is I'm spread too thin to do anything really well, and that causes anxiety and stress. Out of the three businesses, I really love the nonprofit and helping others and leading them in their relationship with Christ. The problem, the nonprofit is running on fumes, and it is difficult to do fundraising without funds. We're also unable to pay employees and keep volunteers. Also, with my large family, I'm unable to keep jump on all the speaking engagements, and usually they end up only paying just expenses with nothing left over. The part I love is the mission and public speaking, writing, radio, videos, etc. I just finished a book that was published by a prominent publisher. I was even told by some that I would make a great coach. How do I find the work I love that can compensate me and help me support my family? I have a wife and eight children. John, and you got too many balls in the air. Golly. Now here's the deal. You say the thing you love most is the nonprofit, but it's running on fumes and difficult to do fundraising. It's frustrating. You're not able to keep employees or volunteers. You know, I think one of the worst terms ever created in history was nonprofit. I mean, think about it. How in the world, what in what universe does that make sense for an organization to say and to brag about it's nonprofit? I mean, I know that people intend that to imply a company, an organization that is doing good. My goodness, that doesn't eliminate any organization. Any organization ought to be doing good if it's going to survive. But here's the other part of the equation. Any organization, in order to survive, has to be creating a profit. I don't care what you call it. You can't continue unless there's more money coming in than there's going out. And the idea of a nonprofit, just, I don't understand it. I don't understand how we can present that as a positive concept. I mean, it, it kind of is a billboard to people, you know, we aren't smart enough to make this work profitably. I mean, that's not the message you want to share. But here's the bottom line is, if it's not profitable, it can't survive. You'll end up resenting it. And certainly it's not going to be attractive to employees and volunteers. So even if it's something that you think is godly, humanitarian, doing good, making the world a better place, all those things, figure out a way to make it profitable. Figure out a way to have enough funding coming in. Now, if that's raising funds, then you have, a, have to have a strategic plan in order to do that. But I think there's a whole lot of nonprofits out there that if they used a little ingenuity, they could have money being generated. And here's the thing about anxiety, stress, discontent, and the things that you talk about. 
All those things are going to be true if you have an organization of any kind that's not profitable. Figure out first how to make an organization profitable. Your passion will grow because it's profitable and it makes your life easier. Now, this is where I picked up the quotation that I used early today from Jim Cockrum, who says, being profitable means I get to continue serving people without having to ask for donations. Now, Jim does a lot. Jim has adopted kids from international countries, you know, does a lot of things that are in the humanitarian, giving, charitable world. But he doesn't have to ask for money to do that because he has businesses that are profitable. So I, th- I think you need to look at this, John, as an opportunity to use your real estate rental and construction business as a way to generate massive profits. So you can then do the things you want to do through your nonprofit without having to ask for donations. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. I mean, I see so many people, you know, we've had examples here on the, on the podcast about, you know, somebody, a fired pastor who wanted to go back to school and get his PhD and he was going to put up a GoFundMe site, which as a matter of fact, I think he actually did. And I think the last I checked, there was like $20 that had been donated. I mean, the idea just doesn't make sense conceptually for other people just to give you money to do what you want to do, even if it's doing something worthwhile and godly. Figure out a way to make it work. You know, when Jared, my son, went to Africa, went to Rwanda, and he wanted to work with what the Bible would call the least of these, people who have been marginalized in every way possible. He wanted to help those. Well, the most logical thing to do is to come back to Williamson County, the wealthiest county in Tennessee, seventh wealthiest in the nation, ask these rich people for money. And I said, man, that's a stupid idea. Don't do that. Let's figure this thing out. Well, he went through multiple kind of micro enterprises, but finally did come up with a model to have those ladies using trash paper in the city there where they were in Kigali, Rwanda to make this beautiful jewelry. He had interns from Rhode Island School of Design come over and design these beautiful pieces of jewelry. So then those pieces of jewelry were sold, not just people feeling like they were making donations to help these poor ladies in Africa. No, because they were high-end fashion pieces being designed by Rhode Island School of Design. And he had interns there who were thrilled to be part of something that was such a cool project that was so profitable in the way that it was being done. And then the money being generated from the sale of that paid those women, paid them well, more than a school teacher could make in that environment and didn't have to ask for donations from anybody. Jared wasn't making his money out of there. He was making money in the things that he does on the side anyway. I mean, the things that he does as a full-time brand developer, logo developer, website, you know, he does that so he can make his own money. So all of that was done as a volunteer in his side because he didn't need the money from that. But he also made it so the organization didn't need money where it was totally self-sufficient. That's what I would encourage you to look at. I mean, when we see the, the growth of social entrepreneurship, those kind of organizations, ethical capitalism, B corporations, those all mean that everybody's in this game of wanting to do good in the world and figuring out how to do that even while we have profitable business. And again, profit means you get to continue serving people without having to ask for donations. Wow. Well, great question. 
I hope it encourages you, not discourages, but it sounds like you got things right under your nose that you can make work to accomplish what you need to continue being a faithful provider for your eight kids and more. What we want, you know, we want that cup to be full. Want that cup to be full and running over. You serve best from a full cup. So figure out how to fill your cup and have an abundance from which you can then share liberally with people who need it. Rachel says, I'm a homeschooling mom of two daughters, ages 13 and 11. I'm super passionate about coaching and leadership and growth and all the related materials. My current call to homeschool my girls is my top priority, but I love taking great information and modifying it to fit their age and stage and discuss it together so they can benefit from it right where they are. I'm considering taking what I do in writing a guidebook or workbook format for some of the classic leadership books geared toward preteens and teens to go through together with their families. My concern is copyright issues. It would not replace the original books, but it would be an alongside product. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Thanks for the weekly dose of vitamin. Woohoo! All right, cool. Well, thanks for your question, Rachel. Now, you, you've touched on an issue here. You hear it come up here a lot, this issue of copyrighted material. And yeah, it's a very delicate issue and something you need to be very, very careful about. If you, well, he, well here's an example. If, if you're writing material and you want to use a quotation from 48 days to the work you have. You can do that without even asking permission from me. You know, just to use a one sentence quotation, like I just used from Jim Cochran. You hear me use them on here all the time. My books are full of quotations. I've never gone back to those people and asked for permission for that. You can do that. However, if you are looking at taking a paragraph or half a page and you want to take that and then dissect that, add your own content to that. That's a different issue. When you hit that about 250 words that you want to pull, then it does become a different issue. It becomes a copyright issue where you need to ask the publisher, typically not the author, not structured different, different ways, but typically the publisher, you need to ask for permission to pull that over. If you're just writing material that you're going to use to teach and you don't actually use the verbatim content from the books you're talking about, you can talk about those books all day long and you're fine in doing that. And you know, you could even create a workbook to go along with something as long as you didn't pull the content and make it your own for what you're writing. So it's a dicey kind of thing there. Now that there's an issue Incidentally, if, if, I mean, most of the things you would be referring to, I assume are copyrighted. Copyrights expired for works published in the United States before 1923. That means that pretty much anything before 1923, unless it's been republished, is in what we call the public domain. So you're free to use those works. And, and there are a lot of people, you've heard me talk about Jim Hodges, who reads old historical books and in doing so creates products that he then sells to homeschoolers. You know, he, he stays with books that are published before 1923. They're in the public domain. But if you're talking about anything recent in terms of leadership skills, the kind of things that you might be talking about that you want to pull from, yeah, it's copyrighted. So it, it has a whole lot of laws pertaining to that. I mean, the copyright now, anything since 1923, I mean, the copyrights on my books will last 
automatically as long as I live and for 70 years after I'm gone. So long time, you know, and there are certain cases where it'll even continue beyond that. So yeah, now one of the issues that may be pertinent to what you're talking about is fair use. Now, fair use allows limited use of copyrighted material without permission from the copyright holder. And with that, you can do news reporting. You can actually do criticism. You can do research. You can create educational materials. You know, you can teach that. But that's a tricky kind of thing. And what it really amounts to is if you're not going to charge for anything that you do. If you're going to create a workbook and you're going to sell it, fair use really isn't applicable. Don't try to stay under the the umbrella of fair use because as soon as you're going to sell it, now you kind of come out from under that. So it's just a straight copyright issue. If you're going to use it for personal use in the classroom, again, there's a lot of liberal, you know, liberality you can use to do that. But uh, if it's in question, just don't mess with it. You don't want to get slapped with a copyright infringement somewhere down the road. So ask. I mean, there's been very rare cases where I've asked for copyright permission because I generally don't use anything that has that much content. There's a piece in the back of No More Dreaded Mondays where I used a quotation from, um, it's on a tombstone in the Abbey of Gethsemane, where it talks about, you know, when I was young, I wanted to change the world and blah, blah, blah. And they go through that. And the last part is, you know, when I was old, I finally discovered that if I had only focused on changing myself, then it would have changed my family, my country, and ultimately the world. So it reverses the process. Well, I wanted to use that. So I went to, and it was difficult because it's been used so many places, but I actually found one place, the earliest I could find where it was in a published form, ask for and receive permission for that. But in general, I don't ask because I don't use, I know the laws and I don't use pieces of other people's material. You see this done a lot. And today when we have the wild, wild west, the internet, you know, people uh, copyright infringe all the time where they use things, make it part of their own. And of course, there's been some very public examples not too long ago about people who have written books where they realized a whole lot was just borrowed from other people's content. There's a very visible situation right here in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live, where they recently discovered the pastor of a very large church had been borrowing his sermons, every single one for the last four years, every single word, the examples, um, all of that was borrowed. Well, that's another kind of copyright infringement. But again, once it's been spoken, written in any way, it has an automatic copyright. So if you hear Donald Trump give a speech this afternoon, that's copyrighted instantly just by virtue of him speaking it. Same is true for you if you do. So yeah, there's a lot of protection for material in terms of ownership. You don't want to step over that line. Well, this comes from Pam. Pam says, this is a really challenging situation. I'd appreciate you, the listeners input on this here. Pam says, Dan, I'll soon have to leave my 15-year psychotherapy practice to care for an ill cousin who needs my care almost 24-7. The situation will only get worse, and it's my choice to help. I'm considering writing e-books, podcasting, creating something of value to help others. Voice recordings and small art projects to sell on Etsy are also being considered. 
appointments with clients would be difficult to keep due to the need to constantly monitor and frequent hospitalizations, so my new work will have to be done in solitude for a while when my cousin sleeps. Please help me see unexplored avenues that might allow me a faster financial return within four to six months. Paying for medical expenses has exhausted much of my financial resources. Wow. Well, golly, I commend you, Pam. My goodness. I mean, that is the kind of cousin that everybody wants that is going to give up so much, apparently, of your own to come and care for this person as their health apparently is going to continue to deteriorate. You know, there's a there's a story that I heard, this is a long time ago, of a little boy who was admiring a shiny brand new sports car parked on a quiet street. He slowly walked around that vehicle, just kind of savoring every view, every angle. And as he pushed his nose up against the window to get a better view of the inside, the voice of the owner behind him startled him. Well, the owner, we'll call him Bob, says, you like my car? Oh, yeah, mister, it's awesome, was the reply. Well, Bob, the proud owner, said, my brother gave it to me for Christmas. Your brother gave it to you? Didn't cost you nothing? The little boy asked, yep, my brother gave it to me. It didn't cost me a penny. Wow, I wish. The young boy began, and of course, Bob, the owner, knew how he was going to finish the sentence. I wish I had a brother like that. But Bob was stunned when the little boy said, I wish I could be a brother like that. Wow, what, what a change, a subtle change. Yeah, wouldn't you like to be a brother like that? Were you in a position where you could give? Well, Pam, I commend you on being that person being that cousin not on the receiving end but the giving end and being willing to give up what you've got going to care for an ill cousin well as a psychotherapist certainly you're trained and you're going to have a lot to go back to but in the interim not knowing how long this period of time is going to be sure there are things you can do and when you talk about you consider writing ebooks you know podcasting creating something of value now you're talking about things that are going to have a pretty slow growth If you have an audience already, if you have 10,000 people on a mailing list because of your psychotherapy practice, they're already listening to you. They know who you are, value what you do. Yeah, I think you can make that transition pretty quickly. If you're starting from zero, then I would encourage you to maybe not even do that. It takes too long to get up to speed. You know, if you need income quickly, you need to be looking at other things that you can do. And with that, You know, I would recommend things like on Etsy, you know, small voice recording, small art projects. Yeah, things that you may be able to find somewhere, just reposition on there and sell on Amazon or eBay. Do that. Look at arbitrage, which means you buy things inexpensively and sell them for more on Amazon, Etsy or eBay. And you could do that with lots and lots of things. I mean, 90% of products that are developed, they say, are never sold outside of the country in which they were developed. So there's lots of things around the world. If you find them and you source them, you can pull that up. I mean, check out Silent Jim. Silent, well, check out Silent Sales Machine. That's Jim Cochran's um, material. And he's got Silent Sales Machine. It's $5, the brand new version, the 10th. Tenth updated version of that book is coming out and it's five bucks to get it. But it'll tell you about how to do what you're talking about doing. But that's really where I would encourage you to go 
with this. Do do the kind of things where you can get up to speed quickly. And the kind of things you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about even the things that I do, you know, writing books, ebooks, courses, speaking, coaching, developing a membership site, having a mastermind. Those are things that take place over a significant period of time. Those are not things that you just start today and are making money 90 days from now. Now, I talk a lot about having a, a side business of some kind here. I got a new product that we're going to be coming out within the next two weeks where I've got 10 new side business ideas. I got so much response to the 48 lower no cost business ideas that we've had out for a couple of years now and people have been asking for more. Well, I'm starting to accumulate more and I'm simply going now, not with just ideas that I know about, but with actual examples of 48 days listeners, people in our community who have done things, you know, things like um, Pierce Mars, who puts out real estate signs on the weekend. So he puts them out on Friday night, picks them up on Sunday evening, uh, makes $50,000, $60,000 a year doing that. It's totally a side thing. It's not his full-time job at all, but it's a side thing. But things like that. And so I put together 10 of those with links and everything in there. I'm going to have that ready to release here in just a couple of weeks, having a lot of fun with that. Well, those are the kind of things I would recommend that you do here rather than the things that may have a much longer ramp up time before they ever start generating income for you. Well, speaking of ramp up time, got a book titled Career on Ramp. Now this, I got to know from Jared Buckley, who's been in the 48 days community for a long time. He says, Dan, I know you reach a wide audience and you have questions from college graduates starting their careers or parents asking about their kids' careers. I'm putting my book Career on Ramp up for free on Amazon over the weekend and thought there might be some listening that would possibly be interested. The free promotion starts Friday, August 4th. Now that's the date of this podcast, August 4th. So I don't know how long Jared's going to have it up for free, but if you're listening to this, jump on there, just go to career on ramp on ramp is one word career on ramp. You'll find the link there in Amazon and it's going to be free this weekend. Well, Jared, I appreciate that. It's, he says on this book, 19 career paths for reaching college graduates. Jared uncovers the differing career options college students or recent college graduates have when entering the workforce. While many recent college graduates see the typical corporate route, Jared goes deeper into dreaming about the possibilities that can lie within a recent college graduate's career path. This book explores mix and matching career opportunities. Well, cool. And check it out. College on ramp free this weekend on Amazon. Thank you, Jared. All right. Hey, let's just do a little, a little recap here. Just, just to recap of some of the things that we've covered here, and I'm not going to extend this and go into more questions, I think. I'm going to just hold that off for another time. I, I, I've got excited about perhaps doing a segment on the magic of thinking big. You know, I think that would benefit us all. I love those old classics like that that never become outdated that have so much wisdom and so much inspiration in them. And that's one of the books that I go back and reread about every six months. I mean, there are certain ones that I do. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, How to Win in Friends and Influence People. But The Magic of Thinking Big is in that little list as well. Books that I've reread over and over and over again. Now, some of you may think, well, you read a book, you know, you read that, been there, done that. Well, good books don't work like that. 
I mean, one of the practices that I've had for years is to read the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the month. So 31 chapters, I mean, in, in the book of Proverbs, 31 days in most months. So it's an easy kind of formula to do. But it's amazing to me how I run into things, having read through there 20 different times, perhaps, where, well, more than that, where I see something and I think, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. That's in there. You know, don't hang around those kind of people. Why didn't I see that before? Well, my life is changing. Your life is changing. You're a candidate to see things in books that you read that you didn't, that didn't get your attention when you read it three years ago or two years ago. You're at a different place. You're a different person. So don't diminish the value of rereading great books. You know, when people tell me, oh man, I read 70 books last year. You know, sometimes I'd like to tell them and looking at the results in their life, why didn't you find one and read it 10 times over? Just find one and just absorb what's in there and then understand and apply what's in there. We can get enamored with just reading information quickly. We just glaze over it. But really reading and dissecting it is a whole lot different. So, hey, stay tuned. We may come back with the magic of thinking big before the summer's over here. Now, as a recap for our conversations today, that is one. The first book I would recommend for a teenager to read is The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. There are five steps to a one minute elevator speech that'll get you a job. And those are identify what do they want? Show empathy. I know how frustrating it is. Number three, summarize your plan. I will do these three things. Number four, call to action. I can start on Monday to put this plan in action. Number five, describe the successful results. This is what it's going to feel like to be more organized or whatever. You can do that. I'll put those steps. I'll list that. Again, that's just arbitrary. I didn't do great research. I just responded to the question, but I'll put those steps that I think anybody can use to make yourself the most desirable candidate in a one minute elevator speech. I love that. So there's five steps to that one minute elevator speech that'll get you the job every time. Our quotation for today is worth repeating. Being profitable means I get to continue serving people without having to ask for donations. That comes from Jim Cockrum. And then my last tip, just an encouragement Be a brother, a cousin, or wife, husband, sister, mom that other people admire. Put yourself in a position to give generously. Hey, and with that, we're going to start moving on out here. Golly, I love this time of the week to open that mailbox to see the questions coming in. Keep those coming in. Just shoot them in to askdan at 48days.com. You can go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Click on the microphone there and leave an audio message if you prefer. But I usually condense those into a short question anyway. This is a great time of year to be looking both forward and backward. Great time to be looking back at what happened this year. But it's also the perfect time to be planning. What do you want 2018 to look like? What are you doing now to make deposits for the success you want to see next year? You don't stop doing what you're doing this year. No, not that. But start putting in place the things you want to be true for next year. I've already identified uh, every year I look at what is the 15% that I've been doing this year that I'm no longer going to do. I've already identified that. Came to me in kind of a big epiphany, a big way what I'm going to not do anymore. But what that does is that opens up a new 15%. 
opportunity. That's where the big things that I do start by being part of that 15%. So I don't have to risk everything that I'm doing, but I got a 15% window open at the beginning of every year where I can put in new things. Hey, if you got some ideas for things I could do there, I mean, I've got a host of new ideas at any given time that I can put in there, but I love those. And that's where the kind of things that I've done in the last few years, like having a membership community, 48 Days Eagles, that we're absolutely having a ball with, 48dayseagles.com, you can check it out. That was one of those things that I put in there. And frankly, that was one of those things, I didn't know if it was gonna work or not. I mean, that's where you get out of your comfort zone and get in your zone of genius when you're trying things that you don't know if it's going to work or not. Don't be afraid to step into that. Well, hey, thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I know you aren't going to settle for less than that. You don't need to. There's too many opportunities all around us. Find yours. Make it your dream. Make it your passion because it's profitable. Profits will lead to passion. Don't settle for less.